Okay, welcome team. When I say team, you know that means I try to expose you the same I would anyone, is expose you to people who are at the top of their game, who may inspire you, teach you, share wisdom with, or just share experiences with that may help you, the listener, in no matter what field you're in. But today, I am bringing you someone who has actually inspired me today. So... The person I'm bringing on the show, I walked past her today and I asked, how are you going? I then had a chat for five minutes that has inspired me in this time and this tough time that we're all experiencing in the world. And that is Di Langmack. So Di, we don't even know where this chat's going to go. This is, there's no pressure. Nothing is scripted. This isn't an interview. This is just continuing our chat with a record button on because what you said to me this morning I think the whole world needs to hear. And so first of all, thanks. No, thank you. What you said to me this morning was, now we're in a really tough time out there. There's nobody in the world right now who's who's not experiencing some type of tough time or stressful time during this coronavirus, Mm. uh, including a lot, a lot of work, a lot of workers, um, no matter what industry they're in. And... You told me that you went shopping and you you went to different supermarkets and you stocked up on food and you delivered it through your neighbourhood and it blew me away. Well, I yeah, I delivered it not only to people in our street but, you know, my family rely on me quite a bit so I had to make sure that I've got enough stock to help... You know, uh, my son with his three children and his wife, uh, her father, uh, her grandmother, uh, which is, you know, in her late 90s. Um, you know, uh, I've, I, I've got family members that rely on me. And, and, you know, that's my role in life is to help other people. Not to help myself because I'm a survivor. So for me, I feel that this is my calling card. When times are tough... We all need to stick together and we need to be very calm because if you're not calm, you tend to make decisions with really fuzzy outcomes and you're blinded by what is right in front of you. So, like, I'm a cancer survivor. I've had two bouts of cancer. Uh, I was given six weeks to live on the first uh, bout with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Then I had breast cancer four years ago. Uh, my brother, you know, he um, four years ago, uh, a very you know fit you know man, um, he was diagnosed with uh, neck cancer. Uh, well, you know, well people say us Langmacks are like cockroaches; you can't kill us. And but we've we've you know we've come from nothing. We grew up in Cabramatta. We had an alcoholic father. We had a mother who was uh, bipolar and uh, you know suffered a lot. So we've you know, the the groundwork that we had to go through as children, it's made us what we are today. And, and I, I, you know, I'm really proud of my my young brother more because, you know, he's had to struggle a fair bit in the last couple of years. And, you know, um, that's really tough to see a young brother have to do that. But, you know, through all that, he's come through it. And, and now he's helping other people, which is... It's a quality you just can't take away from yourself, you know. And I've got an older brother who played football for a number of years for Penrith and Parramatta and he's in a dementia centre and he's 65. So, you know, these things come to us but we've got to learn to stay calm and 
and you know just give back to people and just consider other people are going through tough times you know um, what is it the line you never judge a book by its cover well for me you might see someone and they're all smiles and they look like they've got the world at their feet but deep down they're suffering and you know you need to tap into that you know so you know yeah, amazing diet a lot of listeners that listen to my podcast a lot of them are in the, the coaching game or the leadership or or business or, or teaching um but you've you've said some things there about real life in particular what's going on now that we try to coach in team environments whether it is a sporting team or whether it is a workforce is one of the things we try to coach is be a team player put the team first is how can i help my mate so you you've lived the you've lived in this rugby league world one of the biggest things on the field is how can i help my mate whether that be by supporting them in attack or defense whatever part of the game if you always ask how can i help my mate that's a great way to be as mm-hmm. a team player yes but in and usually in the really tough times either time of fatigue or pressure moments some some people revert to looking after themselves and possibly could get a bit selfish at times which is kind of what we're seeing in the world during this really tough time some people are either going the selfish route and we've seen it in shopping centers or some people like you are going well how can i help someone else and whether you are a teacher a coach an athlete a team player whatever industry you're in I'm a firm believer if you could be that person, how can I help someone else? And you actually live it. Like That's why I love chatting to you today. We even talked about you know, people that in, in this tough time, there's some people that won't be able to pay their bills. Some people won't, are going to struggle to live. And, and you've, you've even talked to me about opening up your house and letting people have a room. Like You're an amazing person and I... I don't think even this podcast is going to do justice. What an amazing person you are! But I, I'm just going to keep talking. I'm just going to, I'm just going to roll things <laughs> off my tongue. Um, well, you know, I think I think when you 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 have to put people, uh, you know, in perspective. And some of us, and this is what I've learned through cancer. And cancer has been a really good thing for me because, um, you know, I, I was taking life for granted and when I had cancer and you know I was nearly put into palliative care but then you know I had fantastic doctors and and they and the first thing that my haematologist said to me which is Professor John Rusco if you look him up he's just amazing he said die the only way you're going to beat this cancer is through your mind now if you stay positive and you work on your mind you're going to beat it but if you go down the road where you think you're going to die you will die and I thought what a great like great sort of line to use you know because I was struggling big time I'd sort of gone down to 32 kilo of weight uh, I couldn't you know I couldn't even get out of bed um, I, I was just a mess and it was like a turning point and he said to me Di- I bought a diary and what I want you to do is uh, because you're struggling with this cancer he said I want you to write your intimate thoughts every night if you can or every morning I want you to write the intimate thoughts and then we're going to read it if you'd like me to but you don't have to share it but it's a way of getting those thoughts out on paper so I did that and within about five weeks I'd gone from palliative care into it looks like I'm going to recover 
and it was all because I listened to what he said. Wow. And, you know, and he said, we're going to have to dig deep on this because you are on the verge of dying. And he said, I will be with you to the end and I'll make sure it's pain-free. So you can either go down that road or you can go on the other road. And what you can do is you can work on your mind as hard as you can. You can fight it and come back bigger and stronger. So that's what I did. And then, you know, I recovered. And then four years later, I get breast cancer. But this time it was like, you know what? I'm just going to do exactly what he told me the first round. So within, I had a seven-hour operation um, at Chris O'Brien's Lifehouse. And he said to me, as soon as you wake up from theatre, I want you walking the room, which I did. And when the doctors came in, they said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm walking around the room. They said, but you've just had an operation. I said, no, 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 I'm listening to the advice of someone who knows what they're talking about. And so the next day, I was fully dressed and I was walking to Newtown three times a day from Lifehouse and like they just said like this is amazing we've never seen anything like it but I just kept working on my mind and I think when you're under a lot of stress which everyone is now financial or whatever uh, sickness uh, with the virus you know we've all got to stay really strong and we've all got to help each other whether that means opening your front door and bringing someone in and offering them something to eat or a room to keep them out of the cold we've all got to help each other because if we don't it's like a team it's like a first grade or second grade team if you you're under a lot of pressure but if you say right we're in this together as one we're going to beat these people like it's the same principle so to me um you know we were just this year we were at mollymook when the fires hit now we had all our family there all our you know grandchildren and everything but at the same time it wasn't about us it was about let's see if someone needs a room or someone needs some food or someone needs something to drink like that was under siege. Like we, I've never seen anything like it. No super. So did you take control as the yeah, w- mother of the family? Well, How I was the one rallying everyone because yep. we we're at different houses. So I was the one ringing. Like uh, when we had power, I was saying, "Let's do this. Let's get petrol. Let's let's make sure we're ready to go." And as soon as the call came through and it said the the freeway was open, it was like, "Okay, let's go." So you are a true leader. So. Do you know people write books on leadership that people spend millions and millions of dollars on the leadership and they just need to talk to you? Because you, in a real leader, is, the characteristics is, is their decisiveness mm-hmm. and the way you make decisions. A real leader will stay calm of and course. a real leader cares. Yeah. So everything you just said, people pay millions of dollars in seminars, they just need to talk to you. <laughs> so you mentioned the word staying calm. Uh, we relate that obviously in pressure pressure situations on on a, on a rugby league field or a football field, mm-hmm. whatever the whatever the sport it is, the great players remain calm and clear. So, have you worked on that in your during the cancer? Did you work? Did you do things like meditation or what? When you when you or have you learnt it from someone? Or I've always been a really positive person, and my mother, as much as she was what she was she was a very good-hearted person she would always you know put 
other people first and she was very religious um, so she probably accepted things because of the religion like she was a Catholic and right. she le- led her life through the Catholic Church so um, you know I used to see her with my dad and my dad was a complete like he's a lovely man super smart but the alcohol got him and and but she would never abandon him you know because it's a sickness and like it's like people that do drugs it's a sickness it's you know mental health is a sickness so you know I'm not walking in those shoes so she used to always say to me you know unless you're walking in those shoes you'll never understand that person's situation which is true you know I've I've made a conscious decision never to drink because I saw too much violence from my dad. But my dad and I were best mates. Like, you know, he went to uh, Fort Street. He got into Fort Street uh, on a scholarship. He had a very high IQ. Uh, But, you know, he uh, later, like in his younger life, he he turned to drinking. um, And, you know, that that destroyed his whole life. But I know he was proud of us, but, you know, at the same time, my mum probably drove us to be very positive, you know. Like, we didn't have anything. Um, You know, my mum was, uh, you know, excommunicated from her family because she married the wrong man. Um, So we sort of had a pretty basic life, but I love that life. I I always think back to that life, how lucky we were. And and the biggest thing we had as a family, which was our football, Our football was everything because I had my older brother and my younger brother, they're 16 years apart. But, you know, my dad and a Sunday, we would, you know, all come to the football. Um, You know, we'd sit on the hill, you know, we, you know, that was our only time that we were together as a family. Yeah, right. And so, you know, for me, the football was like, that was the most peaceful time in our family. Um, and then to see my brothers achieve what they did was like amazing, you know, like, I mean, my, you know, my younger brother probably achieved more than my older brother. Um, but like to see him grind away from nothing, like, you know, and we worked together, like we lived together all till he was 27. Yeah, right. Um, and so, you know, we just lived and grind away. He it was a tough well, he was a tough player, and he, and you know, and he's super smart, and he's, he's smart man. Yeah. He's a very he's very good with numbers, yeah. and you know, he he went to uni to do an accountancy course and all that sort of thing. So he played for his country. Played yeah, he played for Australia. Played for Australia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he played you know a couple of state of origins. Yeah. I mean, I suppose he was sort of coming at the end of his career, so it was sort of like the young guys were coming through, but yeah, but the football gave us. It gave us a really nice lifestyle, like, to see him achieve what he did and, you know. You would have so many stories die from working in the game in 30 years plus living the whole game your whole life. Yeah. You would have... I've met some beautiful people. And you would have influenced a lot of lives during that time even to today you're still helping people in the game so well when yeah. paul was at canterbury our house was the drop-in center was it really yeah so we <laughs> lived at Earlwood then we were, and we had this beautiful old sandstone house and and all the players used to come there and have their breakfast and you know that it was just the drop-in center and it was it was a place where if people young players didn't have family they could come there and um you know they felt comfortable and there was never any pressure on them to do anything or you know if they had nowhere to sleep or you know couldn't afford places they'd stay at our place so we that's the way it's always been you know so i'm you know i'm very honored to have the life that i've had 
I feel very grateful and I feel like I do a lot of charity work. Um, you know, I'm on the board at Cure the Future, which is connected to Royal Prince Alfred. And I'm on, on the board for another group called AGCF, which is Ovarian Cancer, which is connected to the um, uh, Professor Neville Hacker. And to meet these people, like they are the heroes of the world, the John Ruskos, you know, the Neville Hackers. Like I'm just trying to do to do things behind the scenes to help them, you that know. That was my next question. I was aware you're on a, a couple of boards and you're very well respected by a lot of people even to hold these positions. But there was one story you told me before where one of the doctors, one of the professors, he he basically said, if you live, if you don't die, you will be on the board of my <laughs> yes, he uh, did. foundation. Yes. Could, could you share that? Yeah, That's yeah. a great story. Yeah, so I, I was, well, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and uh, a very good friend of mine who's a GP, um, he said, look, uh, Di, you know, this doesn't look good, but there's a doctor that I went to uni with and he's supposed to be the best in Australia. So what I'll do is I'll ring him up and he rang him. He was in America and he was coming home on the Friday. So he said, you've got to meet him at uh, Royal Prince Alfred at 8 o'clock and uh, he'll talk to you. And anyway, so I went along and I met this this lovely man, Professor John Rusco, who I owe everything to. And he just looked at me and he said, look, we're going to have an interview for a couple of hours and I, I don't take a lot of patients and I'm going to decide whether I take you and then you're going to decide if you like me. And I went, oh, this is interesting. Anyway, we're talking. He goes, tell me a bit about yourself. And I told him I did a lot of charity work. And he said, right. He goes, okay, I've decided I want to take you on as a patient. And then he said, but under one condition, if you survive this, you have to come on my board, which I am on his board as the chair. <laughs> so oh, well, he's glad that you fought it and he's glad you yeah, didn't yeah. get a beat you. Yes, wow. of course. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and yeah, and because of that, I mean, I previously to that, I had never, I don't smoke. I've never drunk. I've never, I, I was at the gym. I was super fit and I it rocked me when they said cancer and so before that I had already donated my time to the Children's Hospital, to the Victor Cheng Foundation, uh, you know the St Vincent's Hospital. So because my mum's family had all died of um, heart, uh, they'd all had heart attacks. Yeah. So I thought well I should donate my time to lots of people that maybe one day you know I pray to God that like I don't die of a heart attack, but I would like to say thank you to those people for looking after my mum's family. and So that's why I started my charity work. So Donna, yeah. you are amazing. I no, can't... No, I'm not. I'm just normal. Seriously, we're sitting in the offices at Penrith Leagues Club where you are... Uh, the football club offices where you've been a big part of this club and... I haven't spoken to you enough until this day today. I mean, we always, you know, you, you're well loved by everyone, but I don't know if everyone knows all of this. This well, stuff, now you're embarrassing this me. This <laughs> stuff is amazing. And if you, I always relate, I always try to relate. It's just in me a little bit to always relate to sport and successful teams about being selfless, putting others first, being a team player, staying calm, working on your mind, working on your body that you had to when you went down to 38 kilos mm. and you just got up and walked and kept going and never quit like all the things we do in coaching 
you actually live it you are living it and it's so inspiring i'm loving this chat um if if you were to share anything now to a young person that's listening no matter where they're going in their life could be a different career could be sport it could be whatever it is if you could share any of your your philosophy on life and how or advice you would like to share I think uh, I've got two sons and I, I've always... Okay, tell me what advice you give them. Well, I've got one son who's a barrister and I've got another son who's uh, an actor in Los Angeles and, and he's, uh, you know, in IT as well. And growing up, they always say to me, you know, we've had the best childhood ever because I've always said to them, I don't care if it's, uh, you know, cleaning the street or uh, painting a house Whatever you do, do it at your best. And always remember, like, if there's someone that you can learn off as a mentor, an older person or someone that's doing the right thing, you you should, f- like, listen to them and, and watch them and take advice, you know, along the way. And, and always try to help people because, you know, um, a lady who's, you know, uh, she passed away last year she said to me the only time you should look down on someone is when you put your hand out to help them up out of the gutter so you should never look down on anyone you know and if you can do something for someone and make their life a bit more enjoyable or their day enjoyable why not you know Uh, it's not all about me or you know what we're all doing it's about giving back to other people so um, you know, my sons have—they've gone on to bigger and better things, and they—they've got a lovely life. And um, you know, they just—I always say to them, remember, there's always people that need needs. They just might need a little helping hand, or they might need a, just a conversation, or you know, ask them, how are you? How are you going? Yeah. You know, don't talk about yourself all day. Yeah. You know, ask them because you might think they're okay, but they're not okay. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. I keep saying this to everyone at the moment. Stay calm and ask people how they are because everyone is under so much stress, whether it's financial, whether it's sickness, whatever. But some people find it very um, embarrassing or hard to deal with to ask for help or to say, look, it's like if you're a team player and you're in a team and they don't want to put their hand up and say, look, coach, I know what you're saying, but I don't understand what you're saying. So could you just redo that or could you show me? There's nothing wrong in asking someone for that, you know. So I think a lot of people today have just, uh, you know, thought that the world was going to continue on getting bigger and and more materialistic. Now this has happened. Um, You know, it's made everyone think about, well, where are we going? Are, Are we doing the right thing to help each other? Um, you know, I just, yeah, I look, I just fear for the young people because, like, for me, I've been through lots of things, but I've come out the other end. But for young people that have got no family support, now that without a family and things are going bad, you are struggling. So if you've got really good family support, then when things, even if they go really belly up, you've still got your family to support you or your, yeah. or your best friends or... Um, you know, I, I just think, so yeah. look out for some that may not have that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned your own sons there and um, you've obviously done a fantastic job. One of your sons in LA is a, 
He's a CEO of a very large company leading a lot of people. I'm sure some of his leadership qualities come down from, from you, no doubt. Uh, he's very successful in what he's doing and I loved, I mean, we might even get him on the show one day. Yeah. Um, and your other son's a barrister, but not only your own sons, you've helped a lot of a lot of young people and a lot of people in the game who are now helping other people. So, Oh, uh, yeah. we're so lucky. And, like, you know, sport is a good way to break down barriers, like, because everyone's on the same level. Like, where you could be working, you know, in other fields and everybody, unless you're at the top of the executive level, the workers are all, like, on another level. But in sport, everybody is one part of a family. And that's where Panthers have always been. They've always been, you know, when people are doing it tough, everyone rallies around. So it's the code from here. Yep. You know, it's what, a What other code. clubs have you worked at? Um, I've done Manly. I was at Manly as like a consultant for nine yep. and a half years, yep. which was really good. And you obviously lived through the Bulldogs days. Well, the Bulldogs are very special because my brother was there. So, and that was, yeah, magical. Yeah. And I, I was doing a couple of years, like, just consulting, doing publishing for them. So, but when my brother went there and he was 17, um, that was a ride of a lifetime. Yeah. I can never, I couldn't even tell you how exciting it was to see him play first grade and see him play for Australia and you know I was so proud of him it was just yeah the ultimate for That's me great. and yeah. you've been working alongside Royce Simmons at the Panthers Royce has has led a lot of people and influenced a lot of people in fact we had we had Brad Fittler on the show once on this podcast and he he always refers to lessons he learnt of great men like Roycey and Roycey's uh, a good man. He's another one who I want to get on the yeah. podcast at some stage. Roycey's the most loyal man you could ever meet. Yeah. He's he's just the most humble man, uh, the loyal. He, 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 you couldn't ask for a nicer person in Roy Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had some fantastic trips with the Captain's Club, you know, we've done a lot of travelling together. So I think Royce, if you want to travel with anyone, you should travel with Royce. He's the best. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we might finish there, Di. I, that was so good to chat and there's some words of wisdom there that listeners can take on in any industry they're in, but in particular during this tough time that the world's going through at the yeah. moment. I, I, yeah, I just hope everyone can stay calm and just remember, you know, your neighbours, your family, your friends, just keep an eye on everyone because people are going to be very stressed the next couple of months. So look after yourself and um, take good care. Bye. Thanks, Di. We're in the uh, one and a half metre thing. I feel like giving you a hug, but I can't. But thanks so much. <laughs> thanks. Okay, then. Thank you. Bye. This episode of GTE is brought to you by Pain Away, Australia's number one joint and muscle relief since 1999. Find out more at painaway.com. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of GTE with Hayden Knowles. Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave us a 5 star review to help grow the team.